Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So, from Mark 14, reading from the first verse. Now, the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Claire, thank you very much. Do uh, keep your Bibles open uh, to Mark 14. Uh, We've been looking uh, the last couple of weeks at Mark chapter 13, this week and next week at Mark uh, chapter 14. And uh, as we have the Bible open, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, as we look at this uh, story of this remarkable woman, we pray that you would uh, speak powerfully to us and help us to see um, in her response to the Lord Jesus, how we too might appropriately respond for your praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Well, as, um, as Peter's been saying, and uh, indeed I've uh, felt this as well, this has been an exciting week in the life of uh, Christchurch Forward. Um, uh, for some of you, it's kind of a bit new. For some of us, it's been four years of meticulous planning and uh, discussions, uh, discussions with the diocese, uh, discussions with the PCC, uh, important conversations with individuals in this church family. Uh, We've been doing all of that, uh, and we've been uh, planning and praying. Uh, Really importantly that we've been praying, uh, as I think I've mentioned already, we we have been praying that if this isn't right, that the Lord would stop it. If it is, that the the money would come, that he would open up the doors and, and, uh, and clear the way for us as well. Uh, but behind all of that has been, and this is crucial, I think, the desire to see God honoured. Now, you know, I know my heart isn't pure. I know the hearts of all the leaders here aren't pure. But genuinely, our desire is to see uh, the honour and glory of God. We believe that happens as people become Christians, as they become Christians, so they praise him uh, and live their lives for him. And so as we continue to plant churches in uh, Sheffield and South Yorkshire so that uh, every part of this uh, part of the country has a faithful, Bible-believing, God-honouring, vibrant church family at its heart 
so that people can hear the gospel. That's our longing. And we are trying to do things here to make that happen, growing this more and more. Uh, We want to train leaders, leaders who will lead those church plants. Uh, But not just there, leaders for all over the country. We're sending lots of leaders out from here, leaders who will be ordained, uh, leaders who will um, lead in um, uh, youth work and children's work and student work and women's workers and evangelists, training them. Uh, We're doing that because we want churches all over the country and indeed all over the world because this church has this uh, uh, great reputation, great uh, heritage of sending out mission partners. Uh, We want to keep doing that. Um, And and not just planting churches in uh, this part of the world, not just training leaders, uh, but also making a difference here in Fullwood. When we're a, a, a largest church, I, I don't ever like to call us a large church because if you go to Korea, then you'll know what a large church is as they have uh, hundreds of thousands of people. But by British standards, we're large-ish. And the building at the moment is pretty full and tonight it'll be even fuller. We can easily get sucked into thinking we're doing very well, aren't we? Well, maybe. But look, there are 6,000 people in our parish, most of whom don't know the Lord Jesus, most of whom need to come to a living faith in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, if we've got a thousand people coming here, we have still got a huge task to do. That's what's driving this building for the future plan. Yeah, it's been an exciting week and it is thrilling to see church family getting really behind it saying, yeah, let's go for this. And now, of course, we have to ask, can we make it happen financially? Will that excitement translate into the sort of sacrificial giving that we'll need to resource these plans. Well, to help us think about our financial response, both this week about this plan, but also to help us think about any financial response to anything, turn with me again to Mark chapter 14, where we meet a quite remarkable woman. We don't know her name. In fact, we know very little about her. But what she did when she met Jesus was so exceptional that it has been told throughout the world for the past 2,000 years. As we open chapter 14, Mark explains the situation, the setting. Verse 1, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teacher of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him, but not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. It was Passover, that's really important to grasp. It was a huge season in the life of God's people. Uh, For the Jew, Passover was like, well, a bit like Christmas for us, but less commercialised and much more about God. But still, a bit like that, exciting, thrilling. Every year at Passover, the Jew celebrated the moment when God himself delivered them out of slavery from the Egyptians and into the Promised Land. We were thinking about that story from the book of Exodus uh, last term on Sunday mornings. Very specifically at Passover, they remembered how the death and blood of an unblemished lamb rescued them from the judgment of the angel of death. As the angel of death passed through Egypt, he would pass over, hence the name, the Passover, he would pass over any household which had the blood of a lamb painted on the doorframe. And so it was the blood of the sacrificial lamb that saved the Israelites from God's wrath. The Passover was the most important annual festival in the life of Judaism. And because it was the Passover, verse 2, 
the scurrilous leaders of Judaism who were at that time attempting to kill Jesus backed off from their evil intent to do away with Jesus because, as you can see at the end of verse 2, they didn't want to riot on their hands. So here on Passover bank holiday weekend, Jesus was given a little moment of relief, left alone by those who were hunting him down for a moment. And so Jesus took the opportunity to relax with friends. And we see in verse 3 that he was in the home of Simon the leper. We don't know anything about Simon, but his nickname tells us that he was an outcast, the leper. <laughs> you didn't choose to spend time with someone called the leper. And once again, we see Jesus hanging out with people that others avoided, the unacceptable, low life in society, the underprivileged and those from the underworld. And invited to this party was a woman. As I've already said, we don't know her name. In fact, we don't know anything about her. But, but if she was at this party, it's reasonable to assume that she also was something of a social pariah, a bit of an outcast. Anyway, whoever she was, she'd been invited to the party, so she took a bottle along, but not a bottle of cheap plonk. I know quite the opposite, verse 3. She brought with her a bottle of very expensive perfume, and I mean very expensive perfume. We're certainly not talking about something you could pick up at Boots the Chemist. We're not even in the airport duty-free range. You know, Chanel Number no. 5, Giorgio Armani, that sort of stuff. I know my perfumes. No, uh, we're, we're talking about perfume like Joy by Jean Patou at a cost of £550 per ounce. Or Clive Christian Number no. 1, which will set you back £1,500 per ounce. Or Chanel Grand Extract, which costs just under £3,000 per ounce. In case you're worrying or wondering, I haven't been looking at my wife's dressing table, don't worry at all. Anyway, so much for this little interlude into the world's most expensive perfumes. The point is this, this woman was carrying around with her perfume worth around, wait for it in today's money, £25,000. Now we know that because in verse 5 someone says that it was worth a year's wages and the average salary in Britain today is just over £26,500. This bottle of perfume is eye-wateringly expensive. And what does she do with it? Flash it around to impress the guests? Uh, Sell it to pay for a really good night out? Dab it behind the ears to make herself a little bit more desirable to Jesus? Well, no, you know she didn't do any of that. End of verse 3. She broke the jar and poured it all over Jesus' head. I imagine as she did this, the the scent filled the room, perhaps slightly overpowering the guests as they breathed in. Well, whether that was the case or not, I do know that what she did that day really got up some people's noses. Verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the first point. The first response, what a waste of money. Now, Andrew Sack and uh, Tim Hewans uh, write a, a lovely little commentary on Mark's gospel. And they say her actions were, quote, like pushing your car off a cliff tied in a red ribbon just to send a video to someone you love. Seems to be such a complete waste of money. Such a waste, it is bordering on being offensive This perfume, as they said, could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Isn't that what Jesus would have preferred her to do? That's a fair point. How much hunger could have been prevented? How much 
Homelessness helped. How many medicines made available? So many people could have benefited, but in one moment of madness, 25,000 pounds down the drain. We might think it immoral to spend that sort of money on perfume in the first place, but to blow it like that, that really is a waste. And those hanging out with Jesus knew what he was about. He cared for the poor, didn't he? And I guess a good number of us sitting here this morning reckon they have a point. It was a complete waste of money. But let me caution you, before you voice that opinion, read on. Verse 6. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? What she has done, she has done a beautiful thing to me. The first response, a waste of money. Here, secondly, Jesus' response, what a beautiful gesture. Now, that is a surprise. Jesus defends the woman. He, He sees what she did quite differently to how we might view it. And may I suggest... He sees what she did quite differently to how we would expect him to view it. We think Jesus would be all for giving to the poor. But that is to miss the primary reason for which Jesus came into this world. Jesus didn't come to earth primarily to help the poor or to give us a moral code to live by. He didn't primarily come to earth to make the world a better place or to deal with inequality. Now, that's not to say that any of those things aren't important. And it's not to say that Jesus doesn't have anything to say about any of those things. It's just to say the primary reason Jesus came was not to deal with those things, but to die. And what this woman did was an understanding of that. Look what Jesus said in verse 8. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I remember it was the Passover. And every Jew would have been thinking about how the blood of a perfect lamb saved God's people from the angel of death. And now here was the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. Here was the perfect sacrifice whose blood would be shed to take God's righteous judgment upon himself so that if we hide under his blood, we might not have to face the wrath of God. And this woman was responding in loving gratitude to what Jesus' death would do for her and what it would mean for her. She was so overwhelmingly thankful for the forgiveness and fresh start that Jesus gave her that she gave extravagantly. I still remember when I first experienced Jesus' love for me for the first time. I know enough of you to know that many of you also know that sort of first experience of Jesus coming to you and explaining to you what life is really all about. For me, it was such a relief. Uh, Can you take your mind back if you've had this experience? For me, I still remember just the relief of knowing that I could be forgiven. To know that all the rubbish in my life could be wiped clean. To know that I could face God with confidence one day, not because I'm a good person, but because he died for me. And therefore, to be sure that life beyond the grave was guaranteed. To know God personally, to be in a relationship with him, it changed everything. Suddenly life was sweet. 
And since coming to know him for the first time, although there's loads of times when I'm really not the person I ought to be, still down through the years, I have had those moments again and again when I've been overwhelmed with thankfulness for all that Jesus has done for me in his death. At times, you know, felt it so acutely, been so amazed by it that I'm ready to go anywhere, do anything for Jesus, give everything for him. That's what's going on here. You see, nothing is too much for the one who gave everything for me. That's what we're witnessing here. You can't put a price on what Jesus can give us on what he has given us. So here in Mark chapter 14, we see an outpouring, oh, literally an outpouring of very expensive perfume, but there's a more important outpouring, a deeper outpouring, an outpouring of overwhelming love for Jesus and thanks to Jesus. That's what happens when you fall in love. If it's ever happened to you, if you've ever fallen in love, think back to when it first happened and think back to that moment when you spend a lot of money, probably more than you could afford, on jewellery for your girlfriend or going to extravagant restaurants with her. Or remember the amount of trouble and time and money you spent on buying your boyfriend's first birthday or Christmas present. See, love does that to us. So that even the most cautious with money, even those we might call tight-fisted with money, even people like that become extravagant when they fall in love. That's what's going on here. And that's why Jesus says, verse 6, She's done a beautiful thing. Because ultimately, that's what we were made for. To be in this beautiful, loving relationship with our God. That's why Jesus died. To restore our relationship with him. And it affects everything, doesn't it, when you know that? It affects our money. We'll give willingly, generously, even extravagantly. Now, please, I think I need to say here that this Bible passage is not a commentary on the morality of loving Jesus versus giving to the poor. It's not here to set up that kind of really unhelpful dichotomy. Of course, Jesus isn't against giving to the poor. Back in chapter 10, when the rich young ruler came to him, he told him to sell everything, Jesus told him to sell everything and give it to the poor. As God's love floods our hearts, we will want to think about giving to those in need. Yeah. But that's not the point of the Bible passage. The Bible passage before us is simply this. There's something bigger than giving to those in need. There's an act in history, the cross of the Lord Jesus, that deals with our sin and with death once and for all. And the cross of Jesus Christ brings the ultimate eternal blessing. And as Christians, that needs to be our highest concern because that is his highest concern. And as we get to know the gospel, we realise it is everybody's greatest need. This woman's actions then are about adoring Jesus because of his death. And it's about what we want to invest our lives in. The first response, what a waste of money. Jesus' response, what a beautiful gesture. And third, our response, what can I do? Today, at the end of this week of uh, laying out plans to build for the future, how should we respond? Indeed, never mind that. How should we respond whenever we think about money? Because this passage is definitely about money. Well, this day and this Bible passage is about money and what we do with it. But before that, this day and this Bible passage is about our hearts. 
Very simply, when we come to building for the future, our response must first and foremost flow from love for Jesus. Our love for him because he first loved us. Because he loved us and because we've experienced how good he is, we'll want others to know that love too. This is all bound up with the gospel as we read in verse 9. It's all about the gospel being proclaimed. Now, we saw that back in chapter 13 last week, that since Jesus has left this earth, he's given us a task to get on with, and it's about telling people the glorious good news that rescues them from the coming judgment, which we were thinking about in chapter 13. Well, that's what building for the future is about. It's about enabling us to press on with gospel proclamation. Planting more churches so that more and more people through this region can hear about Jesus. It's about having facilities here to enable us to extend our training so that more and more people are equipped to go and lead churches all over the country and even around the world so that more and more people hear about Jesus. It's about having buildings here that will help us to do more to reach out to the people of Forward so that more and more people hear about Jesus. Building for the future is about the proclamation of the gospel. And this woman's extravagant actions are about that. Look again at verse nine. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Verse nine is coming true right now. See, here we are, 2,000 years later and 2,000 miles away talking about this woman's actions. That's remarkable. I don't suppose... That for one moment she dreamt that her actions at a private dinner party would have such an impact. Well, you see, that's what God does with gifts that are given to him when they're given out of love for him. He extends their usefulness and their ability to impact people way beyond anything we can imagine. When this church was built, well, not what we have now, much smaller, when it was built back in 1837, it was very modest. A little church on the edge of Sheffield, close to the Peak District. Who'd have believed that 178 years later, Christ Church Forward will be listed among the top 10 largest Anglican churches in the country? They wouldn't have believed that 178 years ago. People back then made an investment in a building, and over the years, thousands and thousands of people have come to Christ because of the ministry from here. So you give to any real gospel work and it has a bigger impact than you could imagine. It reaches further than we might think possible. Think of a young man telling his little brother about Jesus. His brother became a Christian and he grew up to be a terrific evangelist who has told thousands about the gospel and led hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ. He's written a course that is used nationally and internationally to help people know Jesus better. Do you think when that young man told his little brother about Jesus, he thought all that would happen? See, the point is we invest in gospel ministry. God takes what we give and multiplies it beyond our wildest dreams. So what of our response? And especially as we think today about building for the future. Well, very simply as we close, will you look at verse 8 and just five words there in verse 8. You see the five words? She did what she could. That is such an encouragement. She did what she could. She didn't do what she couldn't do. And we're not expected to do what we can't do either. 
following the building for the future presentations this week, one or two people have come up to me and said, I can't give very much. They don't have much or, well, you know, I can think of some who are married to someone else who isn't a Christian, so they can't give large sums of money to a project like this. Their spouse wouldn't allow it. It wouldn't be right and seemly for them to do that. So if you're in that kind of situation, whatever it is, don't have much money, see as youth here, you know, much money, look at the woman. She did what she could. Do what you can. I found myself saying to people this week, give a pound if you can give a pound. Do what you can. God doesn't expect you to do what you can't do. Do what you can. Give a pound. And you know, one of the reasons I've said to people give a pound is because when the building is built, I want you to be able to say, you know, I did what I could. I, I, I played my part. That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? It's all that's expected. She did what she could. It's a great encouragement. It is also, of course, a great challenge because she did do what she could. She gave a bottle of perfume worth £25,000 out of love for Jesus and with a desire to see the gospel proclaimed. She gave something very precious and costly to her. And the point is, if we all do what we can, then God will use it to multiply ministry. He will see that the gospel is proclaimed further than we thought possible. Can you imagine future generations looking back and giving thanks to God that we, sitting here today, did what we could so that we might have a church in this land, in this generation and the next? So there might be dozens of vibrant churches in Sheffield and South Yorkshire. That There might be other churches up and down the land growing because people were trained here. There will be churches all over the world supported by mission partners sent out from here. And this church growing as more and more people in forward come to know the Lord Jesus Christ because we did what we could. Can you imagine it? She did what she could. Will we? Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for this remarkable story of this woman. We don't even know her name, but we see her pouring out her uh, gift of love and of uh, devotion to you. And we pray that we would simply respond the way she did, giving what we can. We pray that you would indeed touch our hearts by the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus of the death that was died, the blood that was shed, so that we might not face your righteous anger. And we pray as we reflect on that, that almost in a, in a way, regardless of our response to our own project here, our lives and our giving would be lives which truly reflect thankfulness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.